Good morning. Thanks for uh, braving the roads and uh, getting here. I appreciate it. My name is Daniel Rose, and I am the pastor at the Antioch Movement in Ypsilanti. We're a church plant of the Midwest Presbytery and the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And uh, so it's, it's an honor to be here, and I bring greetings from our gathering there. Uh, my wife and children uh, decided that they would rather stay home this morning. Uh, when I was in seminary, one of my professors talked about how he would always leave to go to church uh, on his own because that kind of that time before, uh, you know, leaving home to get to church can be such a stress-filled time. And as he was preaching the gospel, he wanted to not be stress-filled. So his wife and children would come after him. And uh, last night, my sweet wife Amy said, you know, if the road's as bad as they are, and me being from Evansville, Indiana, uh, I will just drive you crazy for an hour and a half on that drive. So we're just going to stay home so that you can get there safe and sound and not be frazzled. So, uh, so they, they are home, probably still sleeping. Uh, and uh, we gather tonight for the Antioch Movement, so if you would pray for us, I would greatly appreciate it. Uh, would you join with me in prayer as we turn to God's Word? Father, thanks so much for this morning, for a time to gather before your scriptures, to hear the gospel preached, to sing, to pray together, to be in community, to worship you. What an honor and a privilege it is to be called yours, to bear your name, to bear your mission. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, as I was growing up, uh, I grew up in uh, Waterford, Michigan, uh, not super far from here, uh, and my family owned a car dealership uh, in Union Lake, and then they moved to White Lake, and uh, right across from the Alpine Ski uh, Center, or whatever it's called now. And, um, and when I went to work there for my dad, that was, uh, I was probably 12 and, you know, I would go, and my first job was to clean the parts department. Uh, now, if you've ever been into a parts department in a dealership, it's a dirty, dirty place. And uh, so I would go in wearing a t-shirt and shorts, and I would come out. Uh, it looked like I was wearing a tuxedo uh, because I was covered in dirt and grime and grease from head to toe. And that was my summer. I just cleaned shelves and parts and uh, degreased the place. I'm not sure how much good it did, but that was my job. And, uh, and one day I was, I was complaining about it. It was hot. I was tired. Uh, it really wasn't fun work. And, uh, and my dad took me by the hand, and we walked outside the building. And he, and, and he said, look at the building. Said, okay, I'm 12. I looked at the building. He says, what do you see? See a building, Dad. He's like, good, son, but look, what do you see? I really wasn't getting it. I was 12, okay? And I says, whose name is on the building? I said, Lars Rose. It's, it's right there, big letters. He says, that's right. So because your name is on the building, that means you work twice as hard for half the pay. He says, that's, that's just how it is, son, when your name is on the building, 
From that day on, I began to notice some things at the dealership, some things that would happen. Uh, at the end of the day, uh, my family members, um, they kept working. They, they worked and they worked and they worked. didn't matter which department they were in, whether they were in sales or in the office or in the parts department or, or in the service area. They kept working. The people whose name weren't on the building would gather around the time clock at about quarter till, about 15 minutes till close, standing there chit-chatting and talking, uh, and they just kind of stood around. As soon as that clock hit, they would punch their time card, and they were out of there. But those whose names were on the building, they were still working, oftentimes past, past the time uh, that close was or, or whatever. And those words that my dad said, hey, when your name's on the building... You work twice as hard for half the money. And I noticed my grandfather, who started, the, who started the dealership. And he would always walk in. And as he would walk in, without fail, he would come in with two hands filled with trash. Papers that he would have picked up in the lot as he was coming in. Because he never just went right from his car into the dealership. He would always park in the back and work his way up and around the front and would just pick up trash as he went. And then as he came in and deposited the trash in the garbage cans, he moved all of the plants away from the windows and from the walls because apparently when plants touch windows and walls, their leaves die. And that drove him crazy. And it was his dealership, after all, and his plants needed to look good. And until the day he died, he came in and watered the plants and moved the plants away from the walls and the windows because it was his dealership. And it needed to look good. So when your name's on the building, things are a little bit different than when your name's not on the building. Because there is this reality that who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And the same is true for the follower of Jesus. Who we are determines what we do. Why do we as as followers of Jesus do anything? Why do we brave snow and slush and ice and unplowed roads? Why do we do that to come here to sing a few songs and to hear some guy give us a book report? Why do we do that? You know? I mean, I'm not John Piper. I'm not very good, but yet you guys came out anyway. I'm not even Pete Scribner, for goodness sake. He's got that great voice. We come because of who we are. Because At the very core of our being, our very identities have been changed by the gospel. They've been changed because Christ alone took on flesh. Because Christ alone reconciled us to God. And so we come here on Sunday mornings and we worship. But more than that, when we leave this place, we live differently. We have a mission and we have a purpose Because who we are has been transformed and has been changed. Paul tells us who we are here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He gives us a title. He gives us a mission. He gives us a very specific job to do. He says we are ambassadors. Now he's, in context, he is talking about uh, himself and his group of guys that are out traveling and he's, and he's, as he's writing to the Corinthians. But this reality of the identity change, that we are ambassadors for Christ, 
It is a truism. It is, it is true of all who follow Jesus. We are now ambassadors. And you know, it's interesting what happens when somebody first trusts Christ, isn't it? They're filled with zeal and passion and excitement, right? I think of when I trusted Christ uh, in the summer of 1995. I was on a summer project with Campus Crusade in South Carolina. I came to Christ and I was out on the beach the next day telling people about Jesus. And I couldn't wait to share my faith with people. I couldn't wait because my identity had changed. Something had happened in me. And I was so excited to tell people about Christ. And every day, that excitement and that passion kind of got a little less and less and less and less. Until, I don't know, maybe about the second semester of my sophomore year in college. It was kind of tough to go out and tell people about Jesus. I would rather sit and play PlayStation with my roommates and uh, just kind of hang out and do some other things. Either that or I would study theology or apologetics. So that way if I ever got into a conversation, I'd have all the right answers. I started creating all these excuses and things, reasons, I'm sorry, not excuses, reasons for why I, I didn't need to be sharing the gospel right now. That was because I needed answers. I needed to learn more. I needed to, to grow in my maturity. But really what was happening was that that fire that was in me when I first trusted Christ had begun to cool. It had, it had slowed down a little bit. And, and what I have found over the years is that that is, that is just natural. It's just part of what happens when we trust Christ. We start off, we're so excited. And, and, and we love our new job. We love being called an ambassador for Jesus. And yet, we cool off. And at the end of the day, what needs to happen is we need to understand a few things. We need to have a few core gut convictions about who we are and about what it means to be an ambassador for Christ. The first thing that we absolutely have to be convinced of, we have to be convinced that people are more than flesh. Look here. Uh, at, at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 16, right? He says, Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. You see, when Jesus first burst on the scene, people thought he was just a rabbi. He was just a guy wandering around teaching. Yeah, he did a few miracles and... Okay, he was, he was kind of racy and kind of subversive, challenged the status quo, but he was just a guy. Yeah, he got hung on a cross, but a lot of people at that time were getting hung on crosses. And then he rose from the dead. And everyone that was close to him realized this wasn't just a guy. There was something else here. There was this deeper reality. This Jesus of Nazareth was much more than just the flesh that we saw. He was God. And what that did is that tapped us into this deeper reality that we see all around us. We see people all the time. And you know what? People aren't just people. They're not just the flesh and bones that you see sitting next to you this morning or 
as you were, you know, bumping elbows and fighting over the last half gallon of milk last night at Meyer or Kroger or wherever you went to brave the storm today. It's, they're much more than flesh. There is this deeper reality, this spiritual reality that exists for every single human being that is on planet Earth. We have to be absolutely convinced of that fact. We have to be convinced of that reality, or we will not take seriously our new identity as ambassadors for Jesus. So when you're driving on 69 or 75 and someone cuts you off, are they just flesh? Or is there more there? When, when the person is rude to you in the store, in line, that person who's got 17 items and the 15 items are less lane, right? What, what's going on there? Are they just a rude person? Or is there something more there? You see, there is always something more because there is a spiritual reality that exists for each of us. There's a, a movie called The Sixth Sense. And it's been out a long time, so if this ruins it for you, I apologize. Uh, but there's, you know, there's the great line from this film where this little boy is talking to uh, Bruce Willis. And, uh, and he plays kind of a, a doctor, a psychologist kind of guy. And, and he's talking to the little boy, and the little boy says, i got to tell you my secret. I see dead people. And the guy says, like, you know, in coffins and stuff, you know, like skeletons. He says, no, no, I see dead people walking around like regular people. When we go out, that's what we see. We see dead people walking around like regular people. You see, there is, there is something more than flesh. If someone is not in relationship with Christ, they are spiritually dead, the scriptures tell us. And if we are not convinced of that, we will not take seriously our new identity as an ambassador for Christ. We have to regard people as more than flesh. We have to, or we will not embrace our new identity. But more than that, even beyond that, along with that, we need, we need to be reconciled to God. You see, I have not met a follower of Jesus yet who isn't themselves a, a broken, hurt, sinful person. I haven't. And I guarantee you haven't either. Now, my wife is pretty close. She's, she, she, she's pretty amazing. Um, but you know what? She's, she's a broken sinner just like me. Mine just shines a little bit more brighter than hers does. And, and that's, that's how we all are. All of us need to understand that we need to be reconciled to God. If you look at verse 21, it says, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We need to understand that even though we are in relationship with Christ, we are coming from a past, coming from a reality when we didn't know Christ, when we too were broken, when we too lived in sin, 
And Christ stood in the gap for us. He made the great exchange for us. Not by anything we did. Not because we are good people. Not because we were born and lived in America. None of that. But by God's good grace, Christ stood for us. Christ died on the cross for us. For the follower of Jesus. It is, it is an amazing reality. Most of us, when we trust Christ, come, come to that point where we say, Yeah, oh God, I am so broken. I am so broken. I need your mercy. I need your grace. And we turn to Jesus knowing that we cannot be in right relationship with him apart from the work he has done. And then... We begin to live the rest of our Christian lives as though it all completely depends on our good works and our good deeds and how we live. And we forget about grace. See, we desperately need to be reconciled to God. Yes, there is this moment when the follower of Jesus places his faith or her faith in Christ and we are reconciled. But you know what? We're still broken, and we still need to keep coming to Christ. That's why we do these things like confessions of faith and assurances of pardon together on Sunday mornings. Because when we stand before a holy God, we will be reminded of the sin that is in our lives. Our perfect salvation hasn't yet come. We're still wrestling through this, these bodies of, of sinful flesh in this broken world. We're still wrestling against an enemy. We're still facing temptation, sometimes giving in, sometimes standing strong. But we need to be reconciled to God. We need to keep coming back and thanking Him again and again for His grace and for His mercy and reminding ourselves that we need grace and we need mercy over and over and over again. Because it's not... It's not by what we did that got us saved or entered us into a relationship with Christ. It is solely by his grace and by his mercy that Jesus made us alive together with him. And that's the third thing we need to, we need to be absolutely convinced of. That the gospel provides the reconciliation from God. That it is the gospel alone the life, death, resurrection of Christ alone that reconciles us to God. Paul, Paul begs them to be reconciled. He's making an appeal, he says, as an ambassador for Christ. What does an ambassador do? An ambassador represents a king or a head of state, right? Our ambassadors from the United States... They go all over the world and they speak on behalf of the President of the United States. And their words have weight. Their words matter. They enter into agreements and they're binding. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for the King of Kings. What a weighty responsibility. What a weighty identity and role and mission we have been given. And so we need to understand what our message is. 
What is it that we are taking to the world? What is it that we are proclaiming on behalf of our king? Is it go out and do a bunch of good stuff? Is it walk people across the street? Is it to recycle? No, those are all good things, but those aren't our message. Our message is the gospel. And we have to be convinced that the gospel alone is what brings reconciliation to mankind. That reconciles man with God and what reconciles people with one another. If we're not convinced of that, then we will lose our way as ambassadors for Christ. It was interesting, uh, early on, when I was working at, at Grace Chapel in Farmington Hills, uh, I, was, uh, I was teaching a, a group of, of teenagers, and, um, and I realized that even though they had been in the church for a long time, they didn't really get the gospel. I, I asked them, could you tell me, could you tell me what the gospel is? Just, just define it for me. There were probably 20 of them sitting in the room. And, uh, and they came up with a lot of ideas. And they, you know, they started writing everything on the, on the dry erase board. And really what it boiled down to was, believe in God, do good things. Believe in God, do good things. That was the gospel. From churched kids who had great teachers for years in Sunday school. Believe in God, do good things. It's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. Believing in God and doing good things will not reconcile us to God. It will not reconcile us to other people. Trusting in the grace and mercy of God through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that's the gospel. That's that's what begins to transform us in our relationship with God and our relationship with others. So the next week, I asked I asked them to do another exercise. And I said, what are the biggest problems in our world today? And man, we filled that dry erase board pretty quick with a whole lot of problems. And we walked through every single one of the problems that they listed and showed how the gospel, if people would turn from sin, would repent and trust Christ, that these problems would begin going away how these problems were solved through the gospel because of the effects and the ramifications of people trusting Christ and turning and walking with God. Because here's the thing. When when your identity is changed, who you are determines what you do, right? So if you're an ambassador for Christ, if your life has been turned upside down by Jesus, your everyday moments change. You begin to see this world change differently. It's like your name's on the building kind of thing because the gospel radically and inalterably transforms us. So we need to be convinced that people are more than flesh. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to believe beyond a shadow of the doubt that the gospel is the reconciliation we need. And the last thing that we, that we need to be convinced of is that he wants us to help others to be reconciled. He wants us to help others to be reconciled. 
You look at verse 19, or verse 18. It says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We have to be convinced that God wants us to help others to be reconciled. It's not, it's not for the guys who went to seminary and have MDiv after their name. That's, that's not, it's not only our job. Okay? That just isn't, just isn't the case. God wants all of us, all of his people, all of his people to live as ambassadors for Christ every single day because he has entrusted to us the message of reconciliation. He's given it to us. It's a gift. The amazing thing is God does not need us. Think about this for a minute. God doesn't need any of us to go out and proclaim the gospel. He really doesn't. God can do anything he wants because God is sovereign and he is good and he is just and he will do what he wants, how he wants it. So he doesn't need us, but he wants us to join with him in this ministry of reconciliation. So he's given us this gift. He's given us this gift to go and to proclaim the gospel to all the world, to invite people, to implore people, to beg people to be reconciled to God, to enter into a relationship with him. He's given us this gift. And yet, you know, we, we take spiritual inventories now, right? Where we, we try to determine what our spiritual gifts are. And one of those and all of those inventories is the gift of evangelism. It's not a gift. It's an identity. It's who we are. It's our responsibility. It's, it's a gift that God's given all of us. Because he's given all of us the message of reconciliation. He's given all of us the identity as an ambassador for him. So to share the gospel is not for somebody who is, you know, Gifted in that way because some test told him so. Mm-mm. We have all been commissioned with Christ. We have all been commissioned by Christ to go, to share the good news, to bear this message of reconciliation to the whole world because it's who we are. It's who we are, it's our identity. We are ambassadors for Christ. We're not just churchgoers. We're not just pew fillers. We're not just people who write checks to, to put roofs on buildings and do all these other things. That's not who we are. We're not even necessarily members of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. That's not really who we are. No. We are ambassadors for Christ. We have been commissioned to go represent Jesus to a lost and broken world. 
He has given us this new identity, and he's given us this message, this message of reconciliation, the gospel. And we have to be absolutely convinced that he wants us with him. And for me, this was the, this was the last piece for me. Because I, I came to a, a, an understanding and kind of alignment with, with Reformed theology and God's sovereignty pretty early on in my relationship with God. And, and I really wrestled through, why should I share my faith? Why should I if God's sovereign? It's because he wants me to. He wants me to. He's invited me into this as an ambassador because that's who I am. Once I got that, once that became this deep gut level conviction that God wants us on mission with him, all the excuses, I'm sorry, all the reasons for not telling people about Jesus went away. They all went away. I didn't need to to know a whole bunch of apologetics. I didn't. I could tell people, I don't know, I'll find out. I I didn't need to know a lot of theology because you know what? People who don't know Jesus don't really have a lot of theology under their belt. They're not asking questions that our systematic theologies are, are answering. They just want to know if they can be reconciled to God. And doggone it, I could answer that one. I knew that answer. I had that message. And so do you. So do we. All of us who follow Jesus have everything we need because he wants us with him on mission as his ambassadors. And Paul tells us he has given us the the message and ministry of reconciliation. This reality that Jesus lived and died and rose again. You see, when, uh, when I worked for the dealership and, and when I realized there was just something different about me because my last name was on the building, it changed everything about what I did when I stepped foot into that building. It just did. Even, even after I graduated from high school and went to college and, and, and I stopped working at the dealership because I was on to, to other things, I started parking in the back of the dealership and I would walk to the front and I would come in with handfuls of garbage because my name was on the building. Our names, our names are on the building of the universe because we are followers of Jesus. We are his ambassadors. Our identities have been changed. An ambassador for Jesus. That's just who you are. Your name is on the building. Our names are are on the building. Who we are determines what we do. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for this morning. Thank you, Father, that you have changed us. 
that you have transformed us. That you have given us new identities. You have given us new names. Father, that we are, we are ambassadors. We have a message. And we have a mission that you have given us. Father, you want us to be out on mission with you as ambassadors for Christ because that's who we are. Father, I pray that you would remind us every day the reality of our new identity in you. These, that we are new creations. And what that means is that we are ambassadors. And that we carry with us the ministry and message of reconciliation. Father, thank you for Jesus, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he has transformed who we are. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.